This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that's among the 1,000 most respected podcasts in the country, at least we think. I'm Andrew Page, and with me, as always, is Mr. Scott Phillips. G'day, Andrew. G'day, Fools. I think that's because there's 999 podcasts on there. <laughs> We're in the top 1,000, and that's what, that's what counts. <laughs> And the reason we say that is because Barron's has made a list yes. of America's most respected companies. Who are they and do we care? Also, how accountants can cause huge losses. Well, in fact, that's what they've done for the retailers. We take a closer look at that. And finally, the barbarians are coming for focus. What, the rugby team? The uh, private equity oh, bar- right. barbarians. Different barbarians. A whole different kettle of fish. <laughs> Mind you, plenty of rugby players end up in investment banking, so that might be no different. That's very true, Should actually. We move on? Let's move on. All right. So, Barron. Yes, the storied, respected US business publication, closest to probably for those older listeners who remember BRW, it's about as close as Australia gets to to Barron's. Uh, BRW, of course, sadly no longer other than online. Yep. Uh, but Barron's is the, the kind of the the most respected, longest running storied uh, business magazine in the country. Yep. And it's named the most respected companies in the most respected American companies, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, just recently. Now, before we go through the list yes. here, and Let's... we're not going to go through the hundred of them. Starting from number one hundred, that's right. <laughs> so Welcome to the countdown. countdown. <laughs> we're not going to do that. This is the Triple M Motley for Money podcast, after <laughs> that's all. Right. Counting down the hundred most respected companies in America. <laughs> How did they define respected? Well, here's the here's the great thing about these lists. Um, they asked a whole lot of investors, okay, and they got them to rank them for every company. They said, "Is it is it." Very respected, respected, neutral, not respected, or yeah, particularly not respected. That was it. Yeah, five point scale. They didn't do, okay. Will it give you a company name? Yeah, tick a box, and, and we'll see who comes up with the most votes. All right. Okay. So number one was Alphabet. Roll. Alphabet. Well, Alphabet for those playing along at home is the parent company of Google, yeah, which was rebadged oh. not not too long ago. I hate. I, you know what? As a pet hate of mine is corporate rebrandings and corporate renamings. Yeah. This one particularly is just stupid. But anyway, let's move on. Yeah, that you know that's a whole podcast episode <laughs> right there, which we might we might come back to. Oh, uh, in, and our listeners are now saying, "No, oh, for the love God's of God, sake, don't spend twenty five minutes talking about." So Google came in number one. <laughs> Apple came in number two. Yes. Uh, a shout out to uh, to the, the new advisor of Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities, Anirban Mahanti, who's probably listening to this. The biggest Apple fanboy that ever walked the earth. Indeed, indeed. Um, by, by a decent margin, yeah, just quietly. Oh, my God. Um, we love you, Doc. We do. Um, next was Amazon. Now, there's something I can get behind. That is that is a really... I mean, that's really rocketed up the list in recent uh, years. Plus, I'm a shareholder, so I like to promote that. <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I think you're probably going to be a fan of number four, which is Berkshire Hathaway. There we go. Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger. Only three places lower than it deserves to be, Andrew. And finally, we've got Mr. Gates with Microsoft yes. at number five. Now, the interesting thing about the list here is that four of the five here are technology companies. Yeah. I guess Amazon's probably, a, a, you, could, you could classify that in a number of different ways, but technology, obviously, yep. very important. Technology enabled, yes, absolutely. Um, and, and so that was interesting. That's definitely a sign of the times yep. here. Um, frankly, though, I would have thought, if it comes to respect, and again, obviously, we're, we're Buffett fanboys and all yep. the rest of it, but all of that aside, you would have thought that, that Berkshire would have had to be closer to the top of the list for a bunch of reasons, right? In terms of corporate responsibility and what they've done and everything like that, they, they, you'd have to think that they deserve more respect than, than Google, for example. What do I think about this year's list, Andrew? I'm glad you asked. There's a couple of <laughs> pushing off the sideboard. There's a couple of things about this list. The first is, by the way, it used to be the, the world's most respected companies. Yeah, right. Is that and the this World year, Series baseball? Well, no, no, no. It was literally the world. Okay. This year, it's just American companies. Oh, okay. okay. Um, I, I'm, I'm reluctant to draw a parallel between that and the new uh, Inchilla, you know, 
foreign policy of the United States, right, so I right. won't. But Don't do that. but you could you could you could make that link. Secondly, to your point, I you know this is which companies you you ask investors which companies have most respect. The answer is almost universally going to be well the ones that have gone up. The ones so, that make me money, for God's sake. Yeah. Exactly. So you think about like, th and these are probably five of the top, I'm going to say 10 highest valued companies on the US stock market. Certainly ones that have created incredible shareholder you, value. You've got to, over the you've last got to ask yourself, you know, is it, isn't, it, isn't it just probable that one of the top five most respected companies in the US is not one of the biggest 10? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, it doesn't make any sense. So realistically, when we say respected, it sounds good. Barron's got a nice headline. The investors get to feel good about, again, this, you know, they ask the yeah. investment professionals for these rankings. Really what you're seeing, I, I reckon you could start with the top 20 companies in the US. You take out the ones that either they don't like or that have bad corporate reputation. There's mm -hmm. no oil companies there. There's no banks. There's no you tobacco. Know. Right. Yeah. So yeah. like the, one, the ones that are exciting, that are interesting, that everyone loves, that have gone up a lot. And you kind of end up with roughly this list, right? Buffett makes lists because some people on the, on the, the voting panel clearly remember that he, he'd done this for 55 years and been mm. extraordinarily successful and deserves it for his corporate leadership as well as his response uh, results, I should say. But mm. looking at the rest of the list, this is, look, I don't, I don't have a problem with any of those companies. They are, they are very, very worthy of our respect. Totally. But it's yeah. also worth saying, quite frankly, these are, these are just the biggest and the, and, and the ones that have got up the most. And look, you know, on, on one level, it does mean we should give them an element of respect. Mm. Are they the most respected just because of that? Well, it kind of depends who you ask. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Then we, can, we move on to more interesting topics. Yes. But uh, if you had to create a list, I'm not going to ask you to create a list of 100 here, but just what, what, what would you class <laughs> Number as, one. <laughs> what would you class as the, the most respected company on the ASX? Oh, you know, this is a bit like the RBA. You know when people say, what will the RBA do and what should the RBA do? Right. They're kind of two different questions, yes, right? So yeah. if you said to me, which companies in the ASX would other people say are the most respected versus which ones do I think? Right. I think you'd get a different list. I okay. think if I was going to make a list, I, I value longevity. I value long-term performance. Yes. So you think about some of the big long-term success stories, the, the Sol Pats, the West Farmers, Sol Pats and West the companies Farmers that have been around either. for a very long yep. time that have done a really good job, even the Woolworths of the world, even yep. after, the, after the most recent kind of you know share price wobbles and frankly, business performance wobbles, mm. the business that is Woolies over the last 30 or so years has been a really strong success story. And so the kind of... The ones that have made great yeah. things of themselves, they would definitely rank up there. Yeah, I'd I'd also, give, I give a shout out to a couple of the healthcare's uh, uh, yep. Cochlear and CSL. Yes. I think of just such huge uh, Australian success stories yeah. internationally, which we don't often do that well at. Correct. Um, and Again, they're, doing, we're, good, we're and they're of, doing good as well. We're kind of falling back to though, the, which are most successful, right? And, this, and this, they this, are this successful. Is always the challenge. Yes, yeah, we're, yeah. we're thinking about yeah. which are the most successful companies. And look, that again, that deserves some respect. But you also might say, well, which companies, maybe the ones that deserve respect are the ones with the highest levels of corporate social responsibility yeah, yeah. or the ones that have invented the, the products or services that have done the most good or mm. the ones whose corporate leadership, you know, speak or, or, or support the, the right or, or best causes. It's, it's a very, very difficult thing to do. Uh, I think to your point, I would add Westfield to that list um, in terms oh, yeah. of international success yeah, stories. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, some, some of the homegrown businesses and frankly, there's some not on the ASX, which is not really our purview, but also those businesses that have been built to, to, to great things. And so we're kind of prone to thinking about respect in terms of success and that's logical that's a, well, that's what we do and our and our scorecard tends to be share price and, and profit mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so i i think you're right i think th those are the ones i probably put in that that list um you know I, I, I give a couple here and i i would nominate a couple of these companies purely because of their extreme shareholder friendliness yep uh, one is a company called ARB. They make bull yeah. bars. You would have seen that, you know, uh, sort of four-wheel drive accessories. And I say that because the, the the Brown Brothers sort of own founded this company. They, they pay themselves a very small 
uh, salary. Yep. They've got huge amounts of shares. There's no dilution. They, they run it in an extraordinarily shareholder-friendly way. And as it turns out, shareholders have done phenomenally well. They're a very, very well-run company. Another very small company totally. many people wouldn't have heard of is 1300 Smiles. Uh, sort of a, 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 they, they aggregate dental practices of all things. But again, very shareholder-friendly leader at the top there, which I, I think deserves special mention because unfortunately... Not many companies are shareholder friendly <laughs> these days, so I, I, I give them a shout out. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll have one. It, 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 this is the this is the question, right? We're, talking, we're now framing respecting shareholder friendliness. Right, and, I think now, that's, and yeah. that's very reasonable. How, by how the you way. frame it, yeah. Um, yeah. In, in terms of that, I, I'm going to throw one for my biggest shareholding and one that's done well for us at Share Advisor, which is corporate. Oh, management. I had you mentioned those guys. Yeah, um, sure. Jamie Ferris, at the business, done a really, really good job. And when they've done capital raisings, they've done fair capital raisings for everybody, which is incredibly, incredibly uncommon. Yeah. Um, but but should be replicated by more companies. So again, in terms of shareholder friendliness, if that's our version of respect, then I think those companies, as you say, Andrew. Uh, ARB, one three hundred smiles and corporate travel definitely deserve some some plaudits for, for doing a great job there. Man, I'm going to give a bit of a shameless plug here at the moment. You mentioned <laughs> the service that you run. I do. We've been doing the podcast for a while. Yes. Anyone who's over a year? Yeah, over a year. For now. those people who are keeping listening, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Right. sorry <laughs> about that. For mum and your mum who's, who's listening, thanks <laughs> that's for staying right. with us. Both of our listeners have really enjoyed <laughs> it. So really far. enjoyed it. Um, uh, how do people get involved in uh, in share advice? I'm glad you asked, Andrew. <laughs> you like that? Yeah, I do like that. That's good. Almost, almost seamless. People wouldn't realize we're trying to give ourselves a plug here. So uh, that's Motley <laughs> Fool Share radio. Advisor. Yeah. Uh, and Andrew's service, Motley Fool Dividend Investor. Both Woo. very high quality services. I yeah. recommend them both heartily. Um, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. You can sign up to our free newsletter. So it doesn't cost you a cent. Um, you will get some uh, some marketing opportunities to join those both, both of those services. But if you want to get a taste of what the Motley Fool is about, um, our boss, Bruce Jackson, writes a very entertaining and very readable newsletter. You get a couple of times a week and then you can choose if you want to sign up to Motley Fool Share Advisor or Dividend Investor. Thanks for done, asking, Andy. Done like a true hey, champion. Hey. Didn't even notice that you'll, was a you'll plug You'll be on today. Oprah next doing, <laughs> doing the same thing. You get a car and you get a car and you get a car. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's talk about accountant. <laughs> From the sublime to the ridiculous. Oh, there you go. Let's talk about accounting. Oh, so can we? we? We have to talk about it because during the week, so um, there's assets whole, and there's liable. A, a, a whole range of retailers yep. got knocked. For, well, the retailers, we've talked a lot about retailers. Yeah. We're not, we're not going to pick at that same scab again, except in, in this sort of... The angle that sort of captured attention is that there's a change, an upcoming change to the accounting rules, which has <laughs> that seen... clicking sounds. Everyone cancelling the podcast. Oh, quick, oh, next, my next. God, tell me all about the accounting <laughs> rules, Andrew. Get, give me the Royal NHG, quick. Well, it, it's kind of relevant because it saw some very substantial yeah. share price falls um, uh, throughout the week. RFG probably one of the biggest ones. These are the guys retail. They're they're a master franchise that they do. Yeah. Uh, Michelle's Patisserie, Donut King, Gloria, Gloria Jeans, Jeans uh, Brumby's Bakery, Pizza Capers, Crust, uh, Crust. Yeah. Oh, bunch of stuff um, um i for the record i'm a fan um, they're a recommendation of ours they've done very well for shareholders over the years we think that'll continue to be the case but share price down a massive 10 percent about 11 11 percent yeah, on, on the day, day. It's come back yep. a little bit but um wow that's you know, you know many 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 millions of dollars of valuation wiped out so what the accountants basically said was we need you guys to account for operating leases in fact we need these to be treated as a liability, we want you to put on the balance sheet. The clicking stopped, the snoring started, dude. Come on. Help, so, help me out here. So, uh, what does that mean? <laughs> Hot potato, <laughs> boom, there you go. All right, don't, don't, don't hang up, don't turn us off, stay with us, fools, because this is a really important thing to understand. Mm. What happens is a company can have two different types of leases, and we're not going to go into accounting chicanery, so stick with us. One lease says you have a liability, you have a debt on the balance sheet for the value of that lease. That's a financial lease or a capital lease. The other one's called an operating lease, and you have to recognize the cost of that but not the liability. So you think about two different things. If you've got a loan to the bank, 
you have a an amount of money you owe the bank, a couple hundred grand for a house, that's your liability. Mm-hmm. If you're a renter, you don't really have a liability in the same sense. You just have a rental expense. Mm. And that's the way these two different leases have been treated. Yeah. What's going to happen in a couple of years' time is the rules will change. And so every lease you have must be recorded as a liability. Mm-hmm. So for those companies that have a balance sheet that looks okay now, all of a sudden, all of those liabilities are going to drop on that balance sheet. Mm-hmm. So, so at the right moment, now, they are what you call off-balance sheet items. Correct which, correct. which tends to have a bit of a stink around it post-Enron and the rest of it. It sounds very shady and yep. the rest of it. And often, yep. often it is very shady. Uh, yeah, but they, they're going to bring them on balance sheet. So all of a right. sudden, things like... Uh, return on capital metrics aren't going to be as good. Leverage metrics are going to look a little bit worse. Yep. Um, so debt goes up, returns on that debt will fall. Mm. Um, if you're looking only at those metrics, things will look bad. On yeah. the flip side, by the way, profit will probably improve yeah. because you're not got that operating lease cost on the balance sheet anymore, on the on the P&L anymore. So you kind of- depreciation cost. Of, yeah. Right, right. Now shares fell 10% for retail food group or 11%. They fell a whole lot for some other retailers as mm. well mm. because the accountants just put a number on a different line. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? And what, so I, it's, I, oh, amazing is very kind, mate. This is this is stone motherless stupid. Well, see, I was I happened to be on the on, on the telly that day, and they said, "Andrew, what does this mean?" I was like, like, like it seems oversimplistic. It was like nothing. It doesn't. The fact of the matter is, the company RFG we were talking about before is the same company today as it was yesterday, as it was last week. Yep. Um, that the amount of uh, lease that they had to pay was always going to be the same. Yep. It was always there yes. and, and disclosed within the notes to the financial statements anyway, to a large degree. And it makes not a cent of difference to the cash flow provided by that company. All the risk. Yeah. You know, nothing. It, it, it is it, now. So, so on that, on that hand, I sort of say it's bubkus. On the other hand, I say, well, look, anything that brings greater accountability and greater transparency to the financial statements, I think is a good thing. Um, I'm, I'm all for that. And, mm. and often, you know, you need to go, perhaps things go a little bit too far, but if it, if it just means that everything's a little bit more tickety boo, mm. then, then I'm okay with all of that. Tickety boo and bubkus, dude. You like you've that? been, you've been in the thesaurus this week. <laughs> I think that's, yeah, look at this. And this is the, this is the stupidity of the market, right? Like there was nothing different at retail food group. No, there's nothing new known about retail food groups business than what we knew last week. Yeah. And the shares fell 10% just because the accounts were changing how they were going to list some of the real realities of that business that we already knew. Yeah. Well, I think you know, some of the people thought, oh, well, wait a sec, debt covenants will maybe breached. You know, the lenders are not going to, oh, they're going to realize there's much more debt there. I can't imagine any of these major banks are surprised by this. I mean, before they lend, you know, give a hundred million dollar debt facility to a company, <laughs> yeah, it's right. not like they don't dig through all of it. They yeah. know full well what they're operating. Well, they should, right? And quite frankly, and if they don't, yeah. for God's sake, help us all. If yeah. you own shares in a bank that is surprised by retail food groups changing accounts, you should sell those, you should go short those shares because that bank is going to be so woefully run mm. that you need to do something about it. This and is the other thing is the other thing as well is, is for this to be a genuine yeah. uh, lie, but you, you'd have to assume something like Woolies and West Farmers got caught up in this. So let's say that all the coals are going to go, uh, uh, are going to close their, their supermarkets yeah. and that they're going to be on the hook to continue to pay the lease for these things. They're long term leases, could yep. be another five Correct. years they're on the hook for. I mean, the, the probability of that happening is, you know. Uh, to, to use uh, to use the, the lingo, a Six Sigma event or something like that. You know, like one in a million, billion, trillion chance type stuff. So I think it's kind of, again, I'm all for the extra disclosure. Yep. It changes nothing in terms of the business operations, its potential, its cash flows, all that kind of stuff. Storm in a teacup. Totally. And look, yeah, yes, yes, madness. Absolute okay. madness. Okay. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's tackle the final topic here. Let's change gears. And we're going to talk a bit about uh, Vocus Telecommunications. Now, this has been in the news 
for really all the wrong reasons. And again, full disclosure, recommendation for us at Motley Full Dividend Investor. I wouldn't say the wrong reasons. Probably the right reasons as well, right? Well, well, it depends how you want to <laughs> peel that particular banana. And let's let's do that right now. The so, barbarians are coming. So the barbarians being KKR, Colberg, Cravis, Roberts, the the, the uh, super massive private equity firm from the United States. These guys wrote the book. These guys they took over Nabisco, the biscuit company, way back in the day. Mm. The book is called Barbarians at the Gate. Hence the the barbarians reference we just made. These guys these guys created effectively the old leverage buyout for those who are a little bit older than maybe some of our younger listeners. The leverage buyout was kind of the the first big takeover kind of strategy, right? It was it was unknown until that point. Yeah. Um, and, and KKR, Colbert, Kravis Roberts created this whole idea. Spectacularly good book if you want to read it. Mm. Um, they've been in business since then. It must be it must be almost 30 years ago they started that. Yeah. Um, and they are oh, they've still done spectacularly it. well. They really it. have. They're still, they're still able to prosecute the strategy because, right, right. let's face it, a sucker's born every minute. And they've so. birthed the whole heap of copycats, right? The yeah. pri- private equity, I mean, look, if they hadn't done it, someone would have come up with the idea. But frankly, that playbook is now being embraced by private equity mobs right around the world. So just to go into that playbook, just very quickly for yes. those for those at home. Um, so what you do is you 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 borrow a ton load of money. Yes. You buy out a company. Yes. You strip out as many costs as you possibly can. Yes. You extract as much cash as you possibly can. Yes. You put a bit of lipstick on that pig, <laughs> and then you float it off to the market to a willing public who's happy to buy it and, and take the story. And so you you end up walking away with a squillion dollars. You're a bitter, bitter man, Andrew. That's just how it goes. It, I mean, I'm I'm almost there's, there's 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 not many black and white rules I have in investing, but one of them is probably close is anything that's come out of private equity hands. I don't go near at least yeah. for a couple of years until there's you know any skeletons that are in those closets can 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 come out and quite frankly current Meyer shareholders or former dick smith shareholders will know exactly how this feels yeah, yeah. um it, dick smith great it, here's the great thing about leverage buyouts right you, you go and buy a company mm. you so you buy a company for 100 bucks right then what you do is you take on 85 bucks worth of debt mm-hmm. and you pay off an 85 dollar dividend yes so all of a sudden you as the owner have made 85 bucks yep the company's taken 85 bucks worth of debt from the 100 bucks worth of business that was already owned mm-hmm. then you kind of just do a, take a few costs out so you can sell it back to the market for 120 bucks mm-hmm. and you walk away so you win on multiple fronts yeah, there. It, it, it's, it's extraordinary. And, look, and frankly, where it's dangerous for the people who pick up the can at the end, or people yeah. willingly buy into it, they've now got a much, much riskier business yeah. with a lot of the costs stripped out, often with a lot of um, necessary investments that have been put on ice. So th- there's, a, there's a lot of CapEx requirements that potentially are coming down the, potentially yep. coming down the pipeline. And, and, and just the nature of the high leverage, if, if there is any wobble within the business and, and you know, sales don't go in a straight line for even the best businesses in the world. Yep. It just means they're incredibly susceptible to, to something not going their way and, and the business could, could fold, frankly. Yeah. And I think, I, look, we should be, we should be a little bit clear here. This is not, you know, this is something that we kind of, we shouldn't, we shouldn't imply that P is necessarily doing something awful or illegal or immoral or unethical. They're entitled to buy whatever Perfectly assets legal, are available yeah. on the market. Yeah. They're entitled to sell the assets to anyone who wants to buy them. Mm-hmm. They are simply saying, well, I'll buy that because it's cheap and I'll sell it back to someone else at a price I think is reasonable. Yep. And if they want to pay that price, they're not good on it. Yeah, and they'll say they're extracting value and right, improving right. efficiency. And they're looking after yeah. their own shareholders, right? So, yeah, sure. you know, and frankly, if we we're in that same position, we might be tempted to do the same thing. The, the question here is. I just is don't just, like it because we're not part of that party. <laughs> uh, is, that, is that what it is? Ah, uh, look. I think there there are some there are some questions about information disadvantage, which is a broader market issue. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, they they bought Maya for a song, they sold it back for a mozza, mm-hmm. um, to to relatively unsuspecting or at least, uh, you know, shareholders who probably should have or could have known better, but maybe were had some sort of, it's not informational disadvantage, just just a misunderstanding or a lack of understanding of the business. Dick Smith, exactly the same thing, right? Yeah. Came on the market, looked like a good deal. The business got an enormous cash flow troubles because of what had happened on on the PE. Now. Mm-hmm. The PE guys are entitled to do that as long as there's no laws broken and we don't believe there are in either case. No. There's no reason they can't do it. The question is, is it fair to the unsuspecting retail shareholder? Probably not. And that's probably a regulatory issue. But look, 
you know, PE are entitled to do it. They're allowed to do it. They're doing it legally and ethically, or at least the, so say the, the, the government. Um, that's, that's not unreasonable. But as you say, Andrew, that means absolutely the buyer should very much be aware. And they are doing, so let's bring this back to, to yes. Vocus here. So Vocus, um, real share market darling, is a phenomenal wealth creation, yep. incredible share price appreciation Until over many, many, many years. Wasn't. And then it all started with TPG last year, sort of saying, oh, geez, you know, there's not as much growth as, as we thought. This transition to the MBN could hurt our margins. And so the market all of a sudden thought, oh my gosh, the, this aggregation play that, yep. was, that, was, that was going on in the telecommunications sector, that's largely over. And now we're seeing some margin compression here as well. And so you had two things. You had the, the market just basically significantly downgraded its expectations for growth. Mm -hmm. And in the process was prepared to pay a far lower multiple. So yep. share prices came crashing down. Yeah, totally. So for, for a little while, Everything was growing double-digit rates. They'll buy up other businesses. TPG bought Ionet, Vocus bought Amcom and M2. Mm. Um, combination aggregation and market growth was really, really juicing returns and helping growth until it wasn't. The aggregation's kind of done now because there's not much left to buy. Yep. Um, and frankly, we're not signing up to that many more plans anymore. You know, where there's, we're all getting extra devices and signing up to home and work and iPads and yep. Wi-Fi devices and God knows what else. That growth kind of started to slow down and potentially peter out. And TPG, when they say, Look, we'll grow profit about six percent to a market that was used to double-digit plus growth. Yeah, it all seems... of a sudden that was a bit of a reckoning. Yeah, so um, yeah, so that in fact that's when we got interested was after all of that. Mm. And I thought, well, geez, you know, that's actually very. We agree with that for the record. We think all of that is true. We think you need you do need to factor in lower growth. A bit above four bucks. We thought, yes, this this is all reflected in. <laughs> then and then, as it turned out, Vocus having um, merged with M2 and, and Amcom, these other big telco players, very very big bites. Um, they had some integration problems, a bit of a wobble, lowered their their profit forecast and took another hit. Yep. So the share price fell down even further, and um, and you know sort of around the two dollar seventy mark earlier this week, and then and then KKR come out and say we rec we're going to launch. <laughs> Uh, not an indicative, non-binding, blah, 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 takeover offer, yep. $3.50 per share in cash. Yes. So what did the share price do? <laughs> well, it jumped 20%. All of a sudden, this thing is in play. Indeed. Now, where I wanted to get to is a very, very long run up here. Um, but what was interesting about it is this. Now, whenever you see a takeover offer, the market price pretty much corrects to that, right? Yep. So that it, it, uh, it, Let's not say corrects. Let's say moves to that. Moves to that. So you've <laughs> a subtle but important difference. Indeed, indeed. Um, and, uh, and it makes sense, right? If this thing is going to get through at $3.50, yep. if people expect that that's yeah, reasonably right. likely... Right. You know, there is an arbitrage opportunity there. If shares are at two dollars eighty, you can buy at two dollars eighty and then sell it through the takeover off at three fifty. Boom, easy money, money for jam. Right. So the share price goes up because everyone says I'll do the same thing. No one's going to sell their shares at two eighty because they're going to say, well, if I keep them and sell the cake out at three fifty, I'd rather do that. And but what usually happens is that there isn't. If if the offer was at three dollars fifty, you'll see the shares go to something like three forty five or three forty six. Yep. There's a little bit of a gap there, and that little bit of a gap represents the uncertainty or allowance for the risk that the takeover offer doesn't go through because if it doesn't go through shares are going to pretty much nine times out of 10 99 times out of 100 fall back to where they were previously and a little bit of time value so if the deal's not going to go through for another three or four months oh, then yes. 350 in three or four months is not worth 350 today because then i get no gain over that period so 345 or so okay a bit of risk if it doesn't go through a bit of time value of that money maybe i'd pay 345 something i get for 350 later yep um because money to me now is worth more than it's worth to me then. Yep. Um, so there are reasons why the shares should normally trade 
at some sort of discount. That discount normally represents the combination, as you say. If the risk doesn't go through, and sometimes a sceptical market will downgrade it by a lot. You might yeah. have seen the shares at 330, 335 if the market thought, well, this deal's up, but really it's not going to go through. So, yeah. you know, we're playing silly buggers. Here's the interesting thing about the Vocus one. Yesterday, when the shares closed, they were above the offer price. 358. So here's this private equity mob saying, we're going to pay $3.50 per share. And yep. shares are trading now you know, a few cents above that. Correct. So basically that, to me at least, and I, I, I'll welcome your, your um, interpretation, but it, it says to me that the market is expecting another higher bid to come through. Correct. That's exactly what it is. In fact either a higher bid from the same company or potentially a competing bid that might just, if the market's lucky, start a bidding war. I, I Frankly, I think the bid does undervalue the business. I think it's worth a lot more. Here's the other interesting thing about it. So the market prior to this bid said, well, we think Focus is worth, let's call it $2.80 per share. That's yep. what the business is worth. Yep. A private equity, it doesn't matter who they are. Someone else has come out and said, no, 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 we think it's worth $3.50. Yes. And then the market's gone, Oh yeah, it must be. <laughs> and it's, and it's sort of come up to this sort of level. In fact, now it's worth more. And then people are talking about, well, they could sell some of these assets. They could do this, they could do that and realize all this extra value. How has it changed though? I mean, isn't that yeah. potential? Wasn't that always there? So the argument that people are making it, why it's worth more than 350, couldn't have you made that when it was at 270? Okay. You needed a force for change and maybe you needed different hands on the wheel or maybe you need mm. different ownerships or whatever mm. happened to be. Mm. But that was always there. And if, it, if this is an obvious low-hanging fruit or an easy-to-prosecute type of strategy, yeah. what riddle me that. How does that make sense? <laughs> I think, Andrew, you are trying to compare apples and oranges to some degree. Okay, okay. The reality is the market writ large thought the company was worth 280 In fact, mm. if anyone was wanted to pay more than 280 for the shares, they would have and the share price would have gone up. Right. So all the market participants that are prepared to make a bid we're only going to pay 280 because frankly, you don't want to pay more than you have to. So yeah. why yeah. would you pay three bucks? If someone's going to sell you shares at 280, you'll sure. pay as little as you need to, to okay. buy what you want. Sure. On the flip side, you've then got, so that, that's the market deciding the intrinsic or underlying value, or at least the perceived value of that company. Yeah. What, what I think it's worth is 280, for example, if I was yeah. in the market at that point. Yeah. You're not then saying it's now worth 350. What you're saying is someone else will pay me 350 if I hold the shares. Mm. So that's a very different scenario. This entire arbitrage between the previous price and the current price says, there might just be someone in the market prepared to pay me a larger amount for those shares, so I'm not going to sell them cheaper. But KKR is saying it's right. Worth, for us, we can pay $3.50 and still realize a whole bunch of value. Well, not, not necessarily. And this is, this is oh, you mean KKR. KKR, yeah, that's right, exactly. right. And that's where right. it's different. So that, and that's, that's just the opinion of two different groups. Mm. So just because KKR thinks it's right doesn't mean anyone else might necessarily think it's right. The market at large thinks it's right. Yeah, the market's you. just saying, I, I can get that from someone who's prepared to pay me for it. If yeah. I had a car worth I think it just legitimizes that perception of value to some extent. One, it's because, well, there's just someone there for whatever reason, yes. crazy or otherwise, who's yes. prepared to pay it. But the fact that the price has now gone above that and there's expectation for higher bids and that a lot of people in the market are saying, ah, it undervalues it. It's more that, it's more that for me, it's that this narrative that's going around every talking head on the telly and in the financial press saying, oh, it's clearly undervalues. It's clearly worth more. And it's like, well, if it's so clearly the case, why wasn't that reflected in the, and I'm not talking about something that's two or 3% different, but rather something's 20, 25% yeah. different. Because the talking heads are saying now who weren't saying it two weeks ago, are talking out of their backsides. Right. This is what the Latin right. scholars would call post-fact, post-fact, something like that. Um, let's not talk Latin, let's talk English. Um, <laughs> good, that, after, after the yeah. fact, justification. Yeah, oh, right. of course it's worth more than that. Well, mate, if you think it's worth 350, 360, 370, you weren't loading up at 280. You should have been backing then, the truck Right, up, right? Then, then you're, yeah. talk, you're talking complete crap. So yeah, is it worth more than that? Possibly. Andrew, mm. you already thought it was, which is great. You made a recommendation. Other people said, no, it's not. Not Definitely making a recommendation. Yep. The, 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 quick, the question simply is, the market's paying 350 now only because 
they think someone else is interested, someone else is going to offer them mm. that, and maybe a bit more. Mm. So this is pure. This is this is speculation with a capital S, right? Because yep. if this doesn't go ahead, the share price will absolutely fall back. If both parties walk away from this, say no, we don't want to do the deal. Yeah. The market might keep some of the halo effect to your point and yep. say, well, okay, maybe it's worth more than 280. Fair enough. We've seen someone else express a really strong desire and put their own money up. Yep. So maybe there's some justification, something mm. worth something like that. Yep. But if, they, if people already thought it was worth that, they should have been buying all the way out from 280 to something close to 350 mm. if that's what they genuinely think it's now worth. Mm -hmm. um, the people who are speculating, well, you can spin this off, sell this, whatever. Well, that was always possible. Yeah. And so to say now yeah. all of a sudden it's, it's yeah, possible is really just people piggybacking on KKR saying, well, if they think so, then maybe I think yeah, so. Legitimizing the argument. Yeah, the it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's lazy thinking, quite frankly. Um, so we, we have to tie this uh, in a knot. We here. really should. So let, let's, let's bring this down to a, a practical end point here. Yes. If you are an existing holder of Vocus shares, yes. you're very thankful of that 20 25% <laughs> gain that you've seen recently. Indeed. I know we are very thankful for it. Congratulations. But what what should you do? Do you take the bird in the hand and say, hurrah, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll take that? Yep. Or do you say, well, I might be able to get a little bit of extra money here um, through a higher bid? Or frankly, I just think the business is worth much more than that. And in time, that value will be reflected. Well, depends, what is your advice? Depends sir? entirely on what you think the business is actually worth in the first place. And this is where you got to strip away the entire market expectation, market view, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever, and really be independent and think so, independently so stop, about it. Don't worry about worth. speculating on further takeover offers and the rest of it. It's just well, what's this thing independently worth? Right. And if you think it's worth more than three fifty, then right. hold. And if not, sell. Right. And so, frankly, if you if you if you bought at two eighty, think it was worth something more than that, yeah. you would offer twenty percent more in the space of a couple of weeks or a month. Yeah. And you're not sure whether it's worth more than this, and take the money. Oh, yeah. There there is oh, free yeah. money on the table for you right now at three fifty for the fifty seven. Mm. You can sell those shares right now, pocket the change, mm. and there's no risk of the, the bid falling over and downside. Yeah, you might kick yourself if three dollars eighty comes out right. of the woodwork down the track, but it's you know. But relative to what you've already hand. got, you've yeah. got you know seventy cents from two eighty to three fifty. Yeah. Uh, in terms of risk reward. I, if it was me, I would. I would. If you didn't think it's worth more than this, and you're happy with the gain, take the money and walk away. Yep. If you always thought it was worth four or four fifty, then feel free to keep your shares and, and wait until it happens. Bearing in mind that in the short term, if the deal doesn't go ahead, shares may fall back to three bucks for a period of time, mm -hmm. and so you're going to have to wait longer to see that value recognised. Um, that's that's the reality of these takeover bids. We've seen, you know, the likes of uh, you know plenty of companies in the past. There's too many of them, name quite frankly. But those who had this takeover rumored DJs back in the day, takeover rumored fell up, fell away, shares mm. fell back. Mm. If you think it's worth more in the long term, by all means hold the shares, but just be prepared for that volatility. Mm. And if if you which might sit on four for fifty five bucks, then by all means wait for that. Um, but bear in mind that you might see some declines if the takeover doesn't go ahead in the meantime. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd echo that. For uh, for what it's worth, our, our advice has been like, uh, you know, don't don't sell your shares uh, at this point in time. We think you should continue to hold on to them. We think it's worth more than three fifty. If it falls through, we think that value will be recognised in time. Focus has some incredibly wonderful, durable, long lived assets, and uh, uh, we think a pretty decent industry tailwind there. And so. The, the stumbles that they've had in terms of integration are very disappointing, but they are they are not they are not long term in nature. They will be resolved one way or the other. Uh, we think in time, and in five years' time, this is all going to be a distant memory, and the shares are going to be worth a lot more in my view. So we think we think it's a mistake to sell, and we, we're glad to sort of see this catalyst for one of a better term that sort of helped the market recognize a bit more of that value. Having said that, I would not, if you're not a shareholder, rush to come in, buy in now on speculation right. of a higher takeover bid. I think that's just a little bit dangerous, but yeah. it's your money. And just remember that you're taking a punt if you're doing that. Mate, we have gone over the 30 minute mark, which for us is dramatically over time. Thank you as always, Mr. Phillips. Thank you, Mr. Page. And to our listeners, of course, as well. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money Podcast and through you iTunes. Should. And you should. through And your favorite uh, Android podcast app. 
if you like what we're doing, we hope you do, please give us a nice five-star rating there as well. But until next week, full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.